Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. My name is Josh Dash, I'm the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I am joined, as always, by my beneficent wife, <laughs> Betsy. Hello. You hey, feeling, listeners. Are you feeling beneficent to all today? Does that mean like generous? Yeah, good, oh, generous, kind. Sure. I think yeah. it's very fitting. It's very <laughs> fitting. Well, folks, we are back with a great episode for you today. I think this a lot of people are going to find this episode interesting. Here's the title, Clothing, Consumption, and the Christian Life. So our clothes, how we consume stuff, and then what does any of that have to do with our faith? Hmm. Now, Betts. I have a challenge to give to you, and I have a challenge to give to all of our listeners. I'm kind of excited to see who does this. Okay. Here's the challenge. Go into your closet, get out your clothes, look on the tags, and see how many items of clothing that you own that were made in America. Oh, wow. How many? Just throw it. Do you have a guess? Do you think you would have a certain amount of clothing that was made in America? I doubt it. Okay. I mean, I think that would be pretty low. I think... Surely most all of my clothes are made overseas. Okay. So I did this. Now I haven't, I, I'll be honest. I did not check every single thing that I own, but Is I was- Is that what you were doing in the closet last night? <laughs> <time? laughs> it's only three or four hours. That's it. No, I, I looked. So I own, I think, close to 20 ties. Um, I'm a pastor, so that's my excuse. And, and you I, love ties. And You've I, always loved ties. I've always loved ties. That's true. I was able to find four ties that were made in America. All of these ties- I calculated, I think they're all over 15 years old mm. at this point, these mm. ties. They've been well-loved. They've been well-loved. I was able to find a couple of polo shirts that were made in American territories. Mm. So I think that kind of counts. That was it. Mm. Like, I don't think I own anything like made in Ohio mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Could not find a single item of clothing. Do you know, Bets, that this is a relatively new thing that all the stuff that we wear is not made in America. Did you mm. did you know that's a relatively new thing? I believe that, most definitely. Well, um, can I throw out some data for you? Yeah, Okay. absolutely. So listen to this. Just a little bit of information for our listeners. Uh, and this is all on the internet. You can find this from the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's on a bunch of different websites. But listen to this. In 1960, the average American household spent over 10% of its income on clothing and shoes. Hmm. Over 10% in 1960. Um, And 95% of those clothes were made in the United States. Hmm. So that was 1960, all right? Um, I know we have listeners that were born pre-1960. And, uh, you know, it's not that long ago, if you think about it. Definitely. Okay. Guess what percentage... Of our clothing and shoes are now made in America. It was 95% in 1960. What do you think it is now? Oh, it has to be low. 10? 10%. Uh, It's between 2 and 3%. Wow. 2 to 3%. Isn't that insane? Mm -hmm. Like how much that's changed. Right. So um, it's actually kind of fascinating um, to, to track the history of this. In 1980... Uh, we were still so like, you know, you and I, right? We're when, children of the eighties. Yeah, we're children of the eighties. Our mom and dad were putting us in American clothing, probably because hmm. it was still seventy percent as of nineteen eighty. Hmm. By the time you get to nineteen ninety, it's fallen to fifty percent of our clothing made in the U.S. By the time you get to two thousand, it's twenty nine percent, 
and today it's less than 3%. Wow. So crazy. And I, and this is uh, why this topic was, God kind of put it on my heart, was I'm a consumer, you're a consumer, we're all consumers, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And I know that at different times in my life, I have struggled with consuming different things. Sure. And uh, even consuming them probably more than than that than I should be. So, um, Bets, I know I went through a phase where I was like so into books, mm-hmm. and I was oh, just yeah. and you know I don't know if you remember what my excuse was. You're gonna be a pastor. Well, <laughs> well that too, but also that I was building my library. Yes. To be a pastor, definitely. So there was a period of my life where I was just. I was getting so many books and you I were building bigger barns. I was built. I was yeah, building bigger <laughs> bookshelves is the right way to put it. Yes. I look back on it now. I've really slowed down in my book buying, uh, purchasing. Well, I think you, we have both been a little bit more realistic to know you can buy a book a whole lot faster than you oh, can my. read that book. Absolutely. Reading the book that you buy takes a lot longer. It and, really does. Um, you know, our season of life, lends itself to like five minutes of reading your book and then your eyes yeah. just drop. It's kind of hilarious. So I have something that I do around the house that you have teased me about a lot, which is a lot of times I just carry books from one, <laughs> from one room to another. You need to tell our listeners but about that Puritan without, book collection. Without actually, re- like I'll, I'll like carry a Puritan book around with me because I really want to read you it. You carry it down the stairs in the morning. Yeah. You carry it back upstairs in the evening. Yeah, okay. I have started one. Um, so, so... We are consumers, Bets, and this really touches our lives. And I know for me, I like clothes. That's probably not a secret to anybody who knows me. <laughs> um, and I have thought about, though, different times in my life where it's just like, okay, how, uh, how much of a consumer am I being? Um, how is my faith impacting this area of my life? And let me give you a basic definition of consumption. Mm. It is the using up of a resource. So yeah, pretty basic, but we consume all kinds of things. And today I thought we could have a little bit of a discussion about how we consume clothing Mm -hmm. and what impact that makes on our lives. We probably don't. I mean, maybe some people do. I haven't thought about this a whole lot. Yes. You know, I went through a phase back when I was teaching fitness classes all the time that I had tons of workout clothes. And that was kind of the thing that I just bought a lot of. Didn't you have the same... You had the same pair of shorts and like I have nine nine different colors. Yes. Well, yeah, of course you had to have right. nine different. Yeah, and I had... still have them, but I wash them less now. Since... <laughs> <laughs> still work out a lot. Okay, let me go ahead and do this before we get into uh, the different parts of our faith and how and how we can think about this topic. I thought I would just briefly describe how we got to this point in mm. our world, mm-hmm. and then a little bit of what we can do about it. Yeah. But how do we get to a point where in 1960 95% of our clothing is being made in the United States, and now it's less than 3%. Well, the, the short answer is globalization. Mm. And especially when you get to the 80s and 90s, and then the early 2000s, it's NAFTA. It's the North American Free Trade Act, which sent so much manufacturing overseas. Um, at least, a, I think I've seen that something like at least a million jobs, or maybe uh, or, or actually just between 1990 and 2011, 750,000 apparel jobs in the U.S. disappeared. Mm-hmm. So there used to be people in the country that made shoes, that made shirts, that made clothes. And that is really, that has become a rare thing. And basically, where do you think all those jobs went? Overseas. They went overseas. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what happened. Uh, and, and it's actually really weird. For a very long period of time, clothing was a deflationary item. 
which is, this is really weird to think about, but clothing actually got cheaper Mm. for like 20 or 30 years. Like what we paid for a shirt, actually probably now, is probably less in real dollars than like our grandparents paid for a shirt. Mm -hmm. Because our grandparents bought that shirt and it was made in America and it was probably more quality went into the uh, manufacturing of that item of clothing. But now it is really silly if you think about how cheap clothing has gotten. It is. Like, um, I think probably my silliest story is one time I went into like a Burlington coat factory and I bought a button down shirt for like $3. And now I had like the red tag on it. Yeah. But still, um, but still, I'm like, this is a hamburger. That's cheaper. Yeah, it's cheaper than Chick-fil-A. Yeah, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. So basically the the story of uh, how we got here is globalization. And then there's this thing called fast fashion. Mm. Have you heard of fast fashion? I have. I have. Okay, what do you think of? You hear fast fashion, what comes to mind? I think of like following the trends, you know, maybe um, an Old Navy. And I'm not here to badmouth Old Navy because I have a lot of Old Navy clothes. Um, Who doesn't? Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, where you're you're riding the waves of whatever is in, and then, you know, next season, maybe a lot of it looks different. Or, you know, maybe you're still riding that wave for two seasons, but then, you know, it's clothes that are trendy. That's what I would say, I guess. Yes. And also clothes that are cheap, mm-hmm. right? Like you can go to H&M and buy a sweater for like seven bucks. Right. And you don't really think about how do I, how does a sweater cost seven dollars? Yes. Like, how does this sweater get here and cost seven dollars? That's right. That's right. So basically, what fast fashion has done, and this is really something that's occurred over the last ten to twenty years, is um, there used to be like uh, four seasons with fashion, and now it's just like constantly changing. Like they're mm. constantly putting out products nonstop that are uh, that are fashionable for people. A lot of times, they're they're copying. The uh, the brands, the really popular... The, the big designers. The big designers, yeah. And they're putting it out uh, uh, cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And then basically what happens is people buy more and more clothing. Right. And uh, basically we find ourselves in a very weird time because we all, I would assume this is broadly Americans, but also Westerners because fast fashion is totally in Europe. It's everywhere in the world. But we, we now find ourselves in a period of time where we own more clothes, but they're lower quality. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, like how can H&M sell a shirt for like four bucks and it was made across an ocean, how can that get here and then be sold for like $4? It had to have been produced cheaply right? and it had to have been produced at basically slave wages. Mm-hmm. The average American garment worker today makes 38 times what a garment worker makes in Bangladesh. Mm. And that's, and if you think about it, you're probably not really rich if you're a garment worker in America. Sure. Like you're probably making a little bit above minimum wage or something like that. So basically clothes are produced for, I mean, this is where we get the concept of sweatshops, Mm. right? Um, Sweatshops for our clothes. And, And basically what the big brands do is the way they protect themselves from liability is, uh, they basically put an intermediary between them and the sweatshop so that if the place burns down or all kinds of bad stuff happens, they can say, we just placed an order. Um, you know, they don't have like, they don't assume direct right. uh, liability. Right, factory overseas. Yeah, like the yeah. people in Bangladesh don't actually work for Nike. Yeah, I remember several years ago. Do you remember when we saw the documentary, The True Cost? We did, yeah. Yeah, that- Good documentary. Great documentary, if mm-hmm. anybody hasn't seen it. Um I remember seeing a lot of scenes of some of the, you know, people sewing the clothing and they had to do it 
so fast and there were injuries and fires and all kinds of terrible things that we don't think about when we just go into a store in America. No, it's totally, uh, totally away from us. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't see it, but, uh, basically in a lot of these other countries, the labor laws are really, really bad Mm -hmm. and the, the minimum wage is really, really low. So, uh, the point is here we are, these companies, uh, come on the scene and they are enormous. You got H and M, you got Zara, you got Forever 21. You could probably name a couple that mm-hmm. I haven't named. But these these are all the biggest uh, clothing companies in the world now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, and it, they, it's all on just the pure volume of product that they are selling. Most of our listeners have probably heard this, but uh, fast fashion uh, is super bad for the environment. Yeah, uh, Generates tons of waste, chemicals in rivers, labor trafficking, uh, they say it contributes to climate change. And then one of the things is that uh, a lot of the clothes, like if you go buy something from these brands, the the reality is it's probably not made of a natural fiber. Sure. So, um, Betsy, what is polyester? Do you know what polyester is? I think it's like an oil derivative, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. But basically, a lot of the clothes we wear, we're wearing oil. Yeah. Or we're wearing plastic. It is mm-hmm. interesting. Like that's what polyester is a man-made or nylon is like a man-made material. It's a man-made fiber, if you will. And actually you can watch like a YouTube video of this. Um, what uh, like a polyester shirt, what happens when you light a polyester shirt on fire versus like a cotton shirt? Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you're like, oh, wow, that one must be made out of oil because <laughs> it's just burning up in like two seconds. Yeah. Um. So you get a lot of man-made uh, materials, and according to one thing I saw online, three out of five fast fashion items end up in a landfill. Hmm. So um, let me ask you this. As I've studied this, I've listened to some podcasts, and we're going to get to a documentary that you and I both watched mm-hmm. recently. Yep. But let's say you go into your closet, bets. you get a bag full of clothes, you say, I'm just ready to be done with this stuff. You take it over to Goodwill. What do you think happens to those clothes that you take to Goodwill? Well, I think we all think someone buys them. Of course they do. They, the... Who wouldn't want to buy Josh Desch's old, <laughs> old clothes? <laughs> or if you think about the number of hand-me-downs from kids. Oh, yeah. Like, we've taken countless oh, yeah. bags of clothes that our kids no longer wear to of Goodwill or something like that. I don't know anything about the kids thing because... You can go to those consignment shops for kids and just totally buy like soccer cleats for way less. Oh, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like adult clothing. Yeah. What do you think? So you take the bag of clothing to Goodwill. So do you think, just tell me what you think happens. Yeah, it goes on a hanger. Somebody comes and looks at it, says, I love that. I want to give it yep. life again. They buy yep. it. They walk out of the store. Yep. It's a happy ending. They, it, it, My clothes live on in someone else's closet. <laughs> That's what you You don't think. feel bad because someone else is wearing it someone all the time. Someone else has been looking for that. Yes. Someone else cor- has said my life of, is complete because I found that. Of course they have. Of course they have. Oh my. I hate to burst your bubble. Please don't. The reality is something like 5% or less of the clothes that we give away to thrift stores, to Goodwill, actually get sold back to American consumers. That's crazy. Like a ridiculous low amount. Hmm. The bottom line is most of our stuff, people are going through and they're saying, nope, 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 nope. And they're throwing it. Um, and some of it is turned, like a small percentage is turned into like rags, I've heard. But do you know where most of it goes? Like the high Probably percentage. Probably back overseas. Of 
Yeah, I hate to tell you this. It mm-hmm. goes back overseas. It goes into uh, developing nations. Mm-hmm. So I, I listened to this really interesting podcast about uh, the nation of Uganda. Beautiful nation. Lovely people in Uganda. Mm. Um, Uganda, they had a period of their history where they made a lot of their clothes. Guess where they get most of their clothes now? U.S. From us mm-hmm. <laughs> or from Europe. So basically the way it works is... Um, uh, clothing uh, buyers in Uganda will will purchase these enormous bundles of like clothes that'll they'll just be like wrapped up. They'll literally weigh hundreds of pounds. They'll have no idea what's inside of these bundles. They will buy them. They'll open them up. They'll take them to their shop, and then they sell them to Ugandans uh, and and so on. And so the the clothing continues. It might seem like a really great thing, but there's a lot of issues with it. For one, I mean, it's it's killed the clothing economy in that country. Mm-hmm. Um, the per- the person purchasing the clothes has no idea what they're getting, and then there's also a little bit of the psychological, like you are wearing secondhand clothes. Mm. But yet, it's not as simple as just um, there's a whole economy that's built around uh, the clothes that we no longer want. Uh, going to places like Uganda and and then so it's just kind of I mean I don't even know what to do with it totally right except to just know like oh wow that's what happens to our stuff mm-hmm. yep now Bets, I told you about a, another documentary called Unravel yeah tell our audience what Unravel's about yeah that was a fascinating documentary that um that really profiles a village somewhere in northern India and um it sounds like what's also happened in Uganda, these giant bundles of clothing are bought by different buyers, I guess. Yes. And then they yep. employ people in this northern Indian village to, um, they strip the buttons, they strip the zippers, zippers off. Yep. Yep. And it sounds like at the end of the day, they are made into blankets and sold back overseas. Yes. Um, so it is so funny, though, to see people's reactions to all of they, you know, the the ladies who would be working would say, I can't imagine someone who would wear this and like hold up a swimsuit. Yeah. Or uh, <laughs> Yeah. It's really funny. Um, yeah. But it was it's so interesting to get their perspective on our clothing and to say, you know, wow, I can't imagine having all these clothes because the sheer volume of what they yeah. would deal with is just staggering. It's like literally mountains, mountains of, of clothing. clothing. Yeah. 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 So I don't want to take all the funny lines from the documentary because it's only 13 minutes long and it's yeah, free. Yeah, sure. It's on YouTube. It's free to watch on YouTube. But at one point, one of the ladies says, I've heard what I believe is the the Americans must have no water to wash their clothes. No, she said water is very expensive. Yeah, very expensive. So they must have to get rid of their clothes after they wear it one instead time. Instead of wash them. Yeah, instead yeah. of wash the clothing. <laughs> like she really thought that, that, that this was why. Thought. This is the explanation for Americans having so much clothing. Yeah, fascinating yeah. Uh, documentary. Thought-provoking. Thought-provoking. Definitely. Um, you know, folks, I'll tell you this. There's not a lot of easy solutions to this problem because um, it's sort of a reality of our global economy that we are now in a period of time where people buy cheap clothing that hurts the environment, that doesn't last, that gets discarded quickly, and then somehow ends up in third world countries. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the reality. Uh, but, but yet but yet now there's a system in the northern part of India where the clothing is... sure. 
there's a now a cottage industry where it's turned into blankets. Yep, yep. And I'm not, um, we need like a Christian economist to come on here and tell us how we can, h- how this thing can change. Right. And I'm sure some of it's like the jobs are never coming back, stuff like that. Right. But I have given this some thought bets and I do have some application that okay. I'd like to share with our audience. You can give some as well. And uh, my application is under two headings, before you buy it and after you buy it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So before you buy it, here's my first point of application. Don't buy fast fashion. Mm. Just don't do it. Just refuse. It's so hard. I mean, probably just, if you if you have the goal of don't buy it, unless you're like the most disciplined person in the world, just probably don't go in there. You can't go in. You're dead. Because, you're man, dead it's hard once they you go that, in. And, they got that cool techno music going. Yeah. You're feeling good. I've heard there's research yeah. about what kind of music to play of to make course. people buy stuff. Of course. They are, I mean, they, this, they know what they're doing. They have us yeah. so figured out. <laughs> H&M, Zara, Forever 21, Uniqlo. These are the basement brands that uh, are most likely to probably be using sweatshop labor mm-hmm. and selling stuff for almost nothing. Like, um, again, how can a product be made that cheaply? Well, At- it can be made by exploiting the labor of Sure. Someone. Ask mm-hmm. yourself, why is this item so cheap? Right. Um, that would be my first thing is just certain brands don't buy. Um, I would also say this, though. Uh, don't buy luxury brands either. <laughs> So I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who buy Gucci and Louis Vuitton <laughs> and uh, what are some other luxury brands? Prada. Uh, Prada, there you go. Hermes. That stuff is just as toxic because basically what you're doing there is you're just paying for the, the name of the brand. Mm-hmm. Like the, you're, just, you're just enriching people that, the, there's nothing ethical, I guess is my point, about those kind of brands. And you and I have had some debates about this. Is it unethical to buy like a purse for $10,000? And and it would also get into the question of, of, would it be unethical for a Christian to buy a car that costs a million dollars? Yeah. And you and I have had some fun discussions about uh-huh. that. Oh yeah. And especially if you think about what if the Christian who had the million dollar car, what if he what if he or she also gave away a hundred million to the kingdom and all right. this kind of stuff. Right. But again, no, no easy answers. No easy answers. Mm-hmm. But I would just say, it's not like a Gucci purse is a thousand times better than another leather purse. Mm. It's just got the name all you're doing. There's nothing that's, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe I've offended some people. Okay. Here, you didn't here, apologize. Here's the, here's the next <laughs> thing. Uh, don't buy something you will only wear a few times. Mm. Um, instead, why don't you think about if you could borrow it for someone from someone or see if someone else might have the thing that, because that's the whole thing about fast fashion. And I've heard this is big on Instagram and stuff where like influencers will buy something to just wear it for a few photo ops. Oh, I bet. And then they either return it, which is even worse. I actually don't know which one's worse (laughs) or they throw it away or get rid of it. Here's another one. Look at the tag before you buy it. What does the tag tell you? What's in it? What's in it and what else does it tell you? Oh, yeah. Where? Where it was mm-hmm. made. Yep. Um, interestingly, Bangladesh is probably the worst of the worst right now. China has actually gotten better because China is uh, more of a developed nation now, obviously, than it was like 70s, 80s. So, mm-hmm. um, but the like the worst stuff, the sweatshop stuff is really coming out of Bangladesh. Mm. And if, again, if you can, if you can get better stuff, get it. If you can get, you know, better fibers like cotton, wool, you should get it. Okay, here's another one I've got. Ask yourself if you really need it. <laughs> That's something we all can do about everything always. Yeah. Do you really need do it? Do you really need Ooh. it? Here's another one. Evaluate your consumption versus your giving. 
Mm. Um, how you doing giving? I am so convinced more and more that giving is the antidote to uh, the desire of our hearts to just have more and more and more. Well, and also, if you think about it from the perspective of clothing or home decorations or whatever it oh, may be. Oh, there's a million be. things for people. Yeah, yep. because yep. especially in, in the States, there's so many things that we love and things aren't bad in and of themselves, but... I've heard it said, you know, you give your, you give a little piece of yourself to the things that you own. Mm. And so, you know, you and I are not, let's be honest, we're not the tidiest people in the world. Shh. <laughs> there, we said it. And so for, for me, everything that we bring into our house is something sure. more that I have to take care of, that I have to wash, that I have to clean, that I have, I should dust, not that I do, yep. but, um, you know, and so... In some sense, the thing the more that you bring into your life, the more those things also suck your time. Yeah, you're right. You're mm-hmm. totally right. Do you really need it? Evaluate your consumption versus your giving. There's maybe there's someone, you know, and we all people love to consume different things. Mm-hmm. For some right. people it's more expensive things than clothes. It's it's it could be cars, it could be you know, sure. who knows what it could be, um, you know, who knows. So I got a couple more shop consignment or thrift stores. If you can, that's one of them Ooh, yeah. because they're the garments already made. Right. It's but you're already, giving it new life. You're giving it new life. We have some great places in Columbia. If you're a Columbia we listener, we you do. know, um, roundabouts, it's right there down the road. Go. Love roundabouts. Also, there's several apps that are fantastic, like- um, for reuse. What would those be? Uh, Poshmark is one. Mer- Mercari? Mercari. I think that's how you I say never it. know how to say it. Yep. Um, that's a great one. I, I've bought a couple things on there. And then you're giving that item that someone is looking to get rid of, you're giving it new life. All right. I got one more here on before you buy it. Buy the best clothes you can afford. Because actually, you know, I'm still learning this, this in life. You really do get what you pay for. Mm. If you buy like a really high quality garment, what I mean, first of all, you're going to get the joy of no of of the experience of it was well made. You're probably going to have it forever. I mean, just think about it. Like when you buy something that's dirt cheap, you don't care about it. It wasn't well made. Buy the. I one time I heard someone say, "I can't afford to buy cheap stuff," and I and I think what that person meant by that was cheap stuff. You just end up having to replace it constantly. Oh. Mm-hmm. So buy the best clothes you can. Okay, after you buy it, here's here's my first one. Keep it forever or until it is unwearable. Mm-hmm. So once it's in my life, hey, it's in my life. And now, of course, this is like, I'm never going to, I'm not saying I'm never going to go to Goodwill again, but I'm going to try to not. Well, and you can always try to reinvent something, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, for the ladies, like for me, maybe I pair it with a fun scarf or, you know, I don't know. I feel like well, there's a lot of ways to be creative. You're kind of jumping ahead to my next one, oh, which sorry. is find a good tailor. Oh, <laughs> And find new joy in your garment. Sure. So I had a pair of pants that I got around the time we got married. I think they were like parachute pants or something. I don't know what. They they were so big. I could have done a clown act in this. I just took them to a tailor and just, you know, got them a little modernized. You you were the dad who is not developing the dad bod yet. It's coming. It's coming. Um, but give your go to a tailor. Hey, that's cool. You know, people used to do that like... Instead of just buying something new, they would go get something repaired. They would get it fixed. They would get it modified. I got two more things. Sell your clothes on an online marketplace Uh, Mm -hmm. or pass your clothes on to those who will love them well. Mm -hmm. Betsy, I'll read a a verse from the word here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15. That's all of us, right? I feel Mm -hmm. the tug in my own heart. 
And I think that at minimum, we should be thinking about this and we should be trying to apply our faith to this area of life as well as every other area. Yes. What you been reading recently? Well, I'll tell you, y'all, I have read some really great books recently. I do want to highlight one um, in particular. It's called Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City mm. by the author Andrea Elliott. This came out in 2021. Um, it, it follows a story of an impoverished family in New York City, I think for seven or eight years, so it's quite deeply reported, um, all about the foster care system and um, drug addiction and poverty and homelessness. And it is such a good book, um, really eye-opening, very provocative, and grows compassion for um, for those who are struggling. So I definitely recommend that one. Mm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's a good recommendation. We'll put that on the show notes. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Rate, review, subscribe if you can, and we will see you next time.